Welcome to the Faith Life Podcast, where we seek to answer cultural and biblical questions through the lens of Scripture. And I'm Seth, and I'm here with Gavin Peacock. He is our guest today, and he is also uh, the conference speaker here at Faith Memorial this week. Gavin is a pastor, a teacher, an author, a husband, a father, and getting ready to be a grandfather again, uh, good Lord willing. Mm-hmm. And he has recently co-authored several books, including What Does the Bible Teach About Homosexuality? What Does the Bible Teach About Transgenderism? What Does the Bible Teach About Lust? And he also has another book called The Grand Design, dealing with biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, Most of you will find it interesting that Gavin was born in England, uh, was a professional football player for 18 years, scoring over 135 goals, I believe that's correct, and playing over 600 games. And after retiring in 2002, Gavin worked for the BBC for six years as a football broadcaster, commentator on television and radio. And so I welcome you here today, Gavin. Thank you for being our guest and being a part of our conference. Yeah, great to be with you, Seth. And I'm glad that you got that right, football. and and Not Not soccer, soccer. I did that. (laughs) Did you hear last night, my father used the term points. I know, I didn't didn't pull him up on it. Yes, I I knew, I was like, I know Gavin's called that right there. (laughs) Well, today, our our congregation has enjoyed your Bible teaching, uh, stirred our hearts over the last several sessions, and today they put together questions for you and Q&A for the family, for them to be able to take our podcast today and go out and share with their family members to share in the workplace, but also answers for themselves. And so one of the main aspects of our podcast is to take some cultural questions, to take some biblical questions and just look through the lens of scripture. Mm. And so what we want to do is dive right in because we have about 12 questions uh, that have put together. And so I just want to start with this today. And uh, our first question is, Gavin, you were a professional athlete. Your son is now a professional athlete. And it seems every sport has more and more weekend games, travel ball every weekend. This would include ball games, gymnastics, dance, and etc. This seems to be pulling the family out or away from the church more and more. In addition, this seems to divide and send families in different directions, such as mother with one sports team and father with another. How would you advise parents with children who play sports from a biblical role, but also from someone who has played professional sports and has a son that is professional as well. Yeah, it's a very good question, very pertinent to today. Uh, yeah, my son, Jake, is a professional Muay Thai fighter. Uh, so though he didn't follow in his father's footsteps and his grandfather's yeah. footsteps in professional soccer, um, he's a professional athlete. Um, yeah, I get asked this question uh, quite a lot. Um, firstly, I, I don't think it is wrong to be a Christian and a professional athlete. Um, the, the, the big thing is that nowadays, as was mentioned in the question, uh, more and more sport is being played on a Sunday. And what you're finding is that families are actually missing large portions of, uh, of church. Let's say in Canada, for instance, you've got hockey. Hockey okay. season comes, you get the hockey families. And in some churches, they go missing uh, for weeks and weeks on, on end. Uh, so they're out of church, the kids are out of church. Um, what I would say is, this is a, a wisdom question, but parents here, they need to show their children uh, two things. They need to show their children that they, the parents, love Christ uh, above sport and above 
their children. So they, they need to show them that Christ is most important, that being part of a vibrant local church is more, is more important. Because if they're going and leaving church and, and, and taking their kids week after week to, to sport, they're showing, uh, number one, that sport is more important than Christ, and number two, that their kids are more important than Christ. They're making mm. idols even of their children. Um, so children pick up off, off of what their parents love most, and they will see that. Um, and, and, and what you have to say is parents have to think very carefully about how, where they're putting their kids and what sports they're putting their kids in. So, for instance, um, when I was uh, playing professional soccer, there weren't too many games played on a Sunday because the TV side of things was just starting to come in in a big way. Nowadays, it, there's a lot more games. Um, so for me, the odd Sunday that I had to play as a professional wasn't a problem. Now, young boys going to play professional soccer, they're playing Sundays all the time. If they're going to have to make it with Chelsea or Newcastle United uh, and they're doing well, they'll be playing Sunday games. So parents have got to look at that situation. They've got to say, right, what about? let me see if I can get my son or daughter, they like playing soccer or basketball or whatever, into a, a midweek team or a Saturday team. Even if it means that they might not be on a track to professionalism, we've got to keep them in the body life of the local church, in the way of grace, because sport is temporary, but Christ is eternal. So parents have got to think carefully what sports they put their kids in into, what days they, they play, and ultimately they've got to uh, keep Sunday as that, place where they meet with the body of Christ and, and, and honor the Lord above all and the, and the Lord honors those who honor him and um, we, we put our son in, into a, a Friday and a Saturday soccer uh, team he didn't make it a soccer but he ended up making it in another sport and uh, it's worked well so like a Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 principle seeking first the kingdom of God and actually demonstrating that out in the family yep and then one of the things that we also see on this is a lot of parents will try to substitute that day of worship. Well, my coach does a Bible study mm. on Sunday, mm. or we have a, a quick small group, and I, those things are great, right? But they're not a substitute no. for the body of Christ meeting together, setting that day of worship uh, aside. So I appreciate the wisdom and insights. Our, our second question today is, what would you say to a wife who desires to follow her husband's leadership? However, at this time, outside of attending a Sunday morning worship service, he seems to have very little desire to lead in any other aspect. And so the question is, how should she respond with, number one, not overstepping, with also not driving him in the opposite direction mm -hmm. where he pulls back? Mm -hmm. Do you have any advisement to a wife there? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the, the first thing is... is is the the man born again is he a christian i mean he's attending i guess on a sunday but you the the, the question said there's little interest other than that um you know it could be that she's in a first peter three situation married to uh, an unbelieving man perhaps but let's say think the best and he's he's saved um but he's just maybe a little bit uh, uh lukewarm or immature um this this lady can can, she can honor her husband and, and respect him in the way that she is with a, a gentle and quiet spirit, the way that she prays for him, the way that she speaks to him. 
she can approach him respectfully and say, hey, can we sit down? I'd love you to look at the scriptures with me and, uh, and see the pattern that God has laid out for us as husband and wife and, and what things that we can put in place where, you know, I de desire you to, to, to lead me more, to read the word to me, those kinds of things in, in, a, in a way that she's not demanding, she's not sure. kind of pressing him hard. Um, maybe there's another couple in the church that are a little bit older and more mature um, that could speak into their lives a little bit. Um, those are the kinds of things that, that, that she can be a praying wife, she can be a, a wife that does approach her husband with some suggestions. Um, she can use the body of, of Christ uh, as well. Maybe there's a particular elder that could um, speak in as well. And then just have that patience that the Lord would bring it about. If the man is a saved man, you would hope then that he would gradually begin to, to make uh, inroads into taking more and more lead. I think some guys may be a little intimidated. They got to think, oh, I got to be like this great, amazing lead. I've got to be like a, a John MacArthur when I bring the word to my Yeah, I got to be a theologian. Yeah. Or, uh, all of these things. Yeah. And, and literally just a, a guy that just would would read a portion of scripture and, and, and then pray afterwards, he's taking a first steps in spiritual leadership. And, and, and this lady seems to want to desire that as well. So a godly wife receives that and then she encourages him when he does that, that builds him, that builds him up and encourages him to do more. And one area that I think can be discouraging is you have a wife that maybe has a lot more knowledge in the mm -hmm. word and she's grew up in church and you have a husband that's maybe recently come to know Christ and he's trying to figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. He's trying to, he's wanting to do that. But when he, when he does share the gospel or when he does maybe read, sometimes it's an overly critique of him. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that can be something that's intimidating. I've seen that some of, some of our younger men in our mm -hmm. church, mm -hmm. uh, ourselves. And I, and I, I think it's all part of God's grace of growing together and becoming more uh, like Christ's likeness. Yeah, I, I mean, just to give a, a, a quick example of how this can be done, and you're quite right, there's a lot of guys out there, guys don't read as much as uh, women in general, sure. and, and so maybe the guy's married to a wife with a bit more theological knowledge, he's not great at praying out loud, maybe he's not great at reading the scriptures out loud, and, and he's got a, a two young kids. A way a guy can start is, you pick a time, let's say it's just before mealtime, and you call the family together. Um, so immediately they're seeing, oh, daddy's taking a lead here. Um, you op you planned a scripture that you're gonna look at, say it's Psalm 1, and, and you open it up. Now you're not particularly great at reading out loud, but your wife is, and so you say, darling, would you read the scripture for us? She's happy, she can read the scripture. Then you um, ask her, uh, uh, you know, what the kids think, maybe a little observation or two, and little Johnny, who's five years old, ask a, a very deep theological yeah. question, because that's what they do. They design- Where does God come from? That's yeah. right. They design Designed to stump us, these children. Um, you are not as theologically robust as your wife, and so you kind of sit, you pause a little bit, and you say, "Hey, darling, what do you think of that?" And then she's in her element; she gives an answer, and then you 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 finish it by saying to your daughter, "Would you like to say a little prayer for us to finish?" See, it's an example of uh, you're not the most competent man uh, person in the room, but you've led the whole thing. And that's not to say that you don't try as a man try and grow in your Absolutely. public reading or praying or theology, but it do, it should not stop you starting. Uh, competency is not the issue. God's design is. Amen. Okay, great. This is part of that question as well. It says holding fast to a complementarian point of view. What are some of the best practices you would recommend in shepherding young girls, in particularly in regards to career? Hmm. Really good question. 
um, especially now in the age that we live in where well a couple of things um, number one there's so much more options maybe for, for, for girls uh, in terms of careers that they might want to do and number two there's a feminist heartbeat in the society that's pushing these girls and saying you want you should go for that girl do that girl uh, you know you can be that and 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 the being a homemaker, being a wife, being a mother is something far less than that. So it's kind of, it's degraded uh, God's creation design for woman as helper to man and, uh, you know, Eve as the mother of all, all living um, and elevated these other professions. Um, so what you want to do is you want to uh, teach your, we're talking about girls here, teach your girls from a young age what it is to be a woman of God, and so, and so therefore the parents are modelling the, the 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 wife and mother is modelling what that looks like in the way that she is as a wife and mother, and then the husband is is showing what it's like to be a godly man in in relation to that. They're putting on this display uh, of the gospel in the home, and so then that that girl has a, a a role model to look at in her mother, and then the other ladies in the church, and that will have then god willing an effect on the way that she views what it is to be a woman in the world um then i mean there's lots of uh young girls that kind of leave home there's no guarantee that they're going to be married by 21 sure. now so they might have to look at getting a job and maybe even at some point you know uh, getting a, renting a house providing for themselves but the the type of job that they're going into now is they're thinking right okay what line is this going to take me on and will that be a problem in the future? So there's particular jobs that might be more suitable. Uh, and certainly there are some jobs that, as J.I. Packer uh, once said, there are some jobs that would stretch the fibres of masculinity and femininity to an untenable level, like a, a, a woman NFL referee, for instance, mm, you know, amongst, right. you know, 300 pound guys. And she's trying to it's it's not fitting. So. You know, to, to give you a quick example, there was a, a lady in um, our church. She was in her late thirties. She was in a really good um, job, quite high powered, and she had some men that were in her team that she was kind of directing. She got gripped by God's vision of, of biblical womanhood, and she said to me, Pastor Gavin, she said, "I've got the chance to go for my PhD, and that would then elevate me into another level of corporate leadership." Uh, she said, but I, I don't know if it's right. I'm loving God's vision for womanhood. I desire to be married and the, my biological clock is ticking. I'm late 30s now. And, and I said, listen, I, I don't need to, I don't want to overstep here. I just want to give you biblical principles. If you love God's design for womanhood in what is clear in the scriptures, then pursue that for today and trust him for the future. Mm. She ended up not going for the PhD, but taking a course in biblical counselling, which I think is wonderful. Women should be sure. counsellors and, and all of that. Uh, she took this course in biblical counselling. She met a man in our church. They got married. There's She's got two children now, and she's now a, a wife and a, and a homemaker. And basically, God honoured her faithfulness in the pursuit of biblical womanhood for what she could see clearly for the moment. And then he led her into the future. And I think a lot of times young families, they're setting their homes up on two incomes. And it's very hard not to in our culture that yep. we have today. Uh, but what I, my wife and I, when we've spoke on this, no one loves our children more than their mother. No one desires to spend more time mm -hmm. with them. It's going to invest in them. And God has designed her for that. And so the idea that the my wife 
our home just cannot function properly if she's working 50 hours a week. It cannot. Mm. And so I think even early on, young couples, when you're considering getting married, when you're looking at this, they need to be taking into account God's design and also, you know, even their finances, their mm. budget, examining mm. all of these areas. How can we best uh, design our home, mm. not only now, but for the future to honor Christ? Yeah, that's, that's a great uh, bit of wisdom as well. So then when you're choosing a career as a girl or what you could do, um, maybe say like a teacher, for instance, that you're, you can think ahead. So then if you are, um, you become a wife and a mother, teaching is something that maybe you could even do some private uh, tuition, a little bit, you know, of supply now and again to bring in a few extra sure. bucks when, when needed. It's the type of uh, job, the type of career that can really be adapted to a biblical pattern in the home. Amen. And I think one the biggest issue is our society has so diminished motherhood, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. less. You mm -hmm. hit that word, less than, mm -hmm. and it's not. God holds it in top priority. Absolutely. Uh, next question that we have is a personal question from one of our members. She writes, my brother is a homosexual and I have a young son. How do I teach my son to love my brother while at the same time teaching him that what my brother is doing is wrong? I do not want to degrade my brother or disrespect him, but I also do not want to compromise biblical truth. Mm. Um, well, for this, is a lady that wrote this. Yeah. Yes. Um, this lady, you want to build into, as, as we all do, build into your children biblical worldview from creation about their identity as image bearers, created male or female in the image of God and age appropriate, what that looks like in terms of marriage and sex, sex within marriage, heterosexual marriage uh, alone. And so just by teaching those things age appropriately uh, and in the right way, you're building in foundations. You're also building in foundations in the way that she, that, that child would then look at um, his uncle um, in terms of, right, um, uncle's an image bearer. So he, there is a, an honor and a respect that, that he deserves as an image bearer of God and a, a, as an uncle. And yet, this is God's design. And, but because of the fall, these desires are distorted and people go down uh, sinful paths. We all do. Uh, and apart from the grace of God, you then get to the gospel. And so what you're building into your children is an idea of creation, fall and redemption. And so they begin to have biblical worldview in the way that they see the world and even their uh, unbelieving family members, family members that have gone down paths of um, sexual immorality uh, without a condemning attitude, but uh, with a biblical wisdom that can, uh, that can view it with grace and yet with clarity to say, no, this is wrong. Uh, but my uncle needs my, my prayers and not my condemnation. And so I think that's, that's just a good way of, of building into our kids in this world and all the different things that they're going to face. You know, if they're in public school systems and they've got a, a, a friend who's got two daddies, as it were, um, how are they to view them? How are they to view the friend? Um, and so biblical, good biblical worldview is going to give them grounding and foundation. Well, the second part of her question is this. What level of relationship? So you've talked to them about mm -hmm. even your friends at school. And mm -hmm. so this was also connected with some of our youth group. What level of relationship should they have? And, and I don't know that it's a black and white or clear cut yeah. answer. It requires a lot of wisdom. But could you give maybe a practice or some thoughts on that uh, dealing with the family, but also with our 
I would say our teenagers mm. that are wanting to reach people with the gospel, how do we not isolate but insulate? How do we not have bad company corrupt good morals? Mm. Mm. Um, and so how do we infuse this? I, I think it, it depends a lot on what the, let's say in this case, the uncle, the guy is like, um, what kind of relationship in general he has with the, with the family. Is he, you know, is he pressing this, the LGBTQ agenda, um, militant or, or, or what have you? Um, and so that's where the wisdom comes in. What kind of relationship does, does she have with him? Does the family have in general? How much time is uh, being spent there? Um, so I wouldn't want us to put hard and fast rules down. The, 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 the nature of the relationship is key. And then, is yeah. Is it hostile? Is it an indoctrination? Yeah. Or is it just this is what this person's struggling with or dealing with and they're quiet about it. And then Yeah, and uh, our kids are going to be dealing with lots of people sure. who are professing uh, homosexual or, or other things. And, and we can't kind of um, live in a, a, in a bubble, bubble as such and insulate them to the extent that they're not in the world. At the same time, it, it needs to be, again, that word age appropriate and also with a wisdom according to the relationship. Okay, our next question is, my friend is a single mom raising boys. Recognizing that a mother cannot be a father, and vice versa, mm -hmm. uh, we would say, uh, that a father cannot be a mother, but a mother cannot be a male role model, what would you recommend to her with her two boys? Yeah, um, this is where uh, the beauty of the church's family comes in. Um, you, you know, we, we have single mothers in in our church uh, in Calgary um, and, and, and the beauty is that when you're gathered together with the church family this mother can actually sit point to other uh, men in the church these are godly men and um, they can then as the ch children grow they interact with them there's kids at our church you know and, the, and I know I'm thinking of one mother in particular and these kids are interacting then with other men in the church they've got godly uh, role models but the mother can also be reading the scriptures with uh, her children and um, and pointing to godly men in the scriptures okay oh here's an example of what a godly man looks like and 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 and, and so point them to to the example the good example of David the good example of Paul and, and so on and ultimately the example of Christ and sort of elevate that to them and then showing them you've got boys and girls uh, that the, the boys to, to follow after that particular kind of Christian manhood and a, and, a, and a young girl is to look for that kind of Christian manhood in a husband or, or uh, in the years to come I think the you hit just a huge key of the church modeling and mm. men modeling and that and and even some of your older men I think that's a great some of the older men their kids are out of the home maybe they're away mm. it's a great way for maybe them to come in and model for mm. those guys or come in and and just impact those young guys life they may have some extra time to invest in them yeah and in and, and just encouraging that discipleship absolutely I mean just to give you a bit of an example so we have our men's uh, breakfast regularly uh, on a Saturday and it's all ages and so some of the guys are bringing their young boys along just so they're mixing with the other men in the church but there would be an example if you've got a single mom with with uh, with a couple of boys that one of the men in the church might say oh I'll take your boys with me to to the men's breakfast and mm. and so you've got a man there a godly man who's coming he's uh, you know and the relationship needs to be right obviously um, 
and he's bringing them to this and then they're being exposed to and it's just like the, the manhood is is caught as much as it's taught so mm. we need to teach it but we need to be put our young boys around godly men and our young girls need to be seeing what godly manhood looks like as well so it's for both sexes but you do need men to actually model manhood for other men you need a man to, to press in at some stage so it's great hope as you say in the church as, as the bigger family this next question is in the area of pornography do you believe that a spouse viewing pornography is the same as adultery and is it grounds for divorce it's not the same as adultery yet obviously jesus says that the, he who looks with lustful intent of the woman has committed adultery in his heart um it, jesus is getting to the, the 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 issue that it is a heart issue sin is a heart issue before it's a, an action issue um but in the same way that uh uh, anger in, in the heart is not the same as actually going out and murdering someone. So it's right. degree, yeah. Um, so uh, that said, um, you know, a husband viewing pornography regularly, this is a serious sin that needs to be dealt with. It's adultery in the heart without being actual uh, physical adultery going out and committing it. Um, is it grounds for divorce? Not in and of itself, I don't think so. But you may have a husband that is. Uh, unrepentant in this area going down into more and more depravity and uh, and looking at worse and worse things um, you may be looking at someone that if he's unrepentant is an unbeliever um, there may be a case even for abandonment there I'm not I, I don't like to go down that that route but I'm not saying that it's n it would never be a case if it went to a hardened depraved unrepentant state uh, but in and of itself, at the, uh, at the beginning of all, we would deal with the issue with the man. There would be some discipline for him and some mentorship for him and support for the wife along the way. Um, and wanting reconciliation, wanting repentance and reconciliation in, in, in the marriage. And uh, uh, not blaming the woman at all for her husband looking at pornography. But there would be other things in the relationship that she would have to deal with in her own heart. Um, to actually be part of the healing process. Okay. What uh, one question that I that has come up, and I think it flows from this question. You talked about degrees of sin, but yet you hear a lot of pastors say um, all sin is the same. Mm -hmm. There is a, a sense that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, uh, our thought process is sin, and therefore makes us guilty. How would you explain to someone, though, that there are distinctions in sin or degrees of sin, uh, such as he talks about uh, sexual morality being against the body, mm -hmm. and you even see Jesus making statements around, uh, he said to the Pharisees, it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you, yeah. right? Yeah. And so how, how do you maybe explain that a little more, give a little more detail? Because that would be, I consider that to be a statement that is true. Mm. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All are guilty and don't meet God's demands. But yet there is a distinction of sin, even seen Old Testament, New Testament scripture. Yeah, I, I think the two texts, what you just said there is exactly where I would go. I'd go with the scriptures and I'd go to uh, that text that, that, that Jesus uses there. Um, you know, in stealing a paperclip from uh, school is not the same as armed robbery. That you could right. you could actually use a big example like that, and people with just common sense would be able to see that. Um, and yet, it's still sin. 
um, you know, taking the fruit in the garden. One's taking of a piece of fruit was the expulsion from the from the garden. So I think we need to to say both. We need to say that all sin is sin. Uh, one sin was enough to uh, condemn uh, the human race, uh, and yet there are degrees and extent. And of course, um, for for instance, um, uh, let's say uh, let's say lust in the heart, and the lust in the heart is a sin. Adultery in the heart, Jesus said, and yet adultery, adultery committed, the um, reverberations of that sin affect so many more people. So, in terms of extent, not only have you gone further in what you've done, the the ripple effects of other people affected absolutely is right. going to be more as well. So, from a pastoral perspective, you see it almost as pastors trying to justify, like one aspect of saying hey a justification of hey you've thought on this this person adultery you're all the same so we're not going to judge anybody almost being passivity towards sin how would you encourage pastors to not necessarily teach degrees of sin but how does that show itself maybe from the pulpit or how does that show how does that manifest itself i would say i i think we need to preach it like jesus preached it you know um we need to go to the heart and and and, and uh, whether you've lusted in the heart, whether you've committed adultery, uh, the only place for, for grace is the cross of Christ for both those things. And so we want to be digging deep. It, we, we need to be spiritual doctors, physicians, even from the pulpit, like the, the Puritans with our discerning application of the text according to mm. the text that we have. Digging deep, it needs to be heart work, and and that by the spirit then and, and the word would draw people out. Because what you're wanting is ultimately is uh, faith and repentance. Uh, you want him to draw people to to Christ, not to legalistic. I'm doing better on. I'm not doing it, but I really want to do it. You want him to put it to death at very heart level, so that whether it's just lusting or whether it's someone that's thinking about adultery or whether it's someone who's committed adultery, there is grace and forgiveness at the cross and that there's new life in Christ so that we're living then out of faith in him and his righteousness alone um, and therefore behavior can change and then you get real heart change like you talked of the text of 1 Corinthians 6 and such were the past tense there the next question we have is you have a young couple that has just recently gotten married can you give some best biblical practice to say hey this is something you want to input into your home right away three four five biblical practices to say hey make this a part of your marriage daily weekly mm. what some advice on that mm. for young couples right um read the word together with husband taking lead in terms of uh, i want to i want to be looking at a husband having a little bit of a, a biblical plan it doesn't have to be uh, amazing but you know maybe go to an older man get a little bit of advice on biblical plan for reading the word together and and secondly praying together um, I would also uh, say that um, both couples need to maintain their own particular devotional life in the word okay individually to stoke your fire with your individual relationship with the Lord as well um, Fourthly, I would say that you need to have an older couple that okay. could speak into your life. So I've got people come to me a lot for premarital counsel, and we're great. I yeah, love to do Absolutely. that. But I'm always saying to that couple, think already 
for post-marital counsel. These are a couple that you get on well within the church that's a little bit older that you could approach and say, hey, could we come and meet with you once a month or every six weeks? Just when the rubber hits the road is when you find out all the different things you need to, when two sinners uh, collide in marriage where you need to work it out in your own particular marriage. So have, have that in mind. And, um, and as, as best you can, structure your, your week and your month to make use of the common means of grace in terms of the local church bedding into that local church relationships in the local church being at the prayer meetings uh, being at church on sundays the men's and women's studies whatever your church has um, as best as you can bedding into that so they would be practices then that would be very healthy uh, to get you off to a good start in a marriage word of god individually together mm. prayer life together uh, getting plugged into a sound bible teaching ministry and having that come about and then also having an older couple Mentoring. that mentors yeah. you as well. Yeah, so and it's, it's, it's the stuff that you love here, the, the Titus 2 stuff, you know. Yeah, the Titus 2 model to have that older yeah. couple in. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say to someone who calls you judgmental uh, for not supporting same-sex marriage? Judgmental? Yeah, well, I'd say, what do you mean by judgmental? <laughs> uh, because we're all making judgments and we're called to make uh, judgments. But if, he's, if they're meaning condemning in terms of the pharisaical condemning, then I would say, no, what we're doing is we're making judgments, we're being discerning. Um, and uh, if you're a, uh, an evangelical, Bible-believing Christian, you've got to take the word of God, you've got to take God at his word. And it is absolutely clear in the scriptures that um, that God, if you like, condemns homosexuality. Right, God's word. Mm. So, how you know one of the most used verses, even by unbelievers, would be "Judge not, that you be not judged." We understand mm -hmm. there's a context around that verse, but there's in one sense at which the very statement of someone saying calling you judging is they are making a judgment call themselves correct mm -hmm. and so just going back and just standing upon the scriptures right just allowing mm -hmm. those things to walk through and it we don't even have the power to condemn really mm -hmm. right we're not judged so just having you know god's already made the judgment he's already made the condemnation on sin mm -hmm. our areas is to try to be obedient and lovingly informative mm -hmm. would you add anything to that yeah i think that text and i'm th if i'm thinking rightly you're thinking in the in the sermon on the mount yes sir. he's speaking of not being censorious uh in that sense and yet right after that he says don't cast pearls before swine, swine. so yeah. you're making a judgment right um so we and we're, we're called to judge the body as well you know to discern the body you think of uh, you know first corinthians and and those passages and so we're called to be uh discerning we're called to make judgments we're not called to be censorious we're called to to actually uh, bring the gospel to those who and this is the this is the thing we don't want to be angry anti-LGBTQ Christians. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's going to be the thing. We want to be merciful and loving uh, and yet anti-LGBTQ in the terms of what it is. But we want to love those people to bring them to the grace of God and their only hope, the hope of the world, is Christ for change. Well, you referenced 1 Corinthians 5. Mm. And so even from our own lives, they're wanting to judge the world. They got sin in the church that they won't deal with. And here's the greatest deal. No one's ever given me more trouble than myself. I, and so I think that the, the human nature 
is to want to be harsher on the world than I mm-hmm. want to even deal with my own mm-hmm. personal sin mm-hmm. and a repentant spirit. Uh, while at the same time, like you said, merciful and grace, just like our Savior is to us. Yeah, I love that. indeed. Um, the next question I have for you is, what would you say to the single young man or woman who desires to be married? They do not feel they have the gift of singleness. How should they pursue a spouse, and how aggressive should they be in pursuing? <laughs> well, I, a, a man is called to leave his father and mother and find himself a wife, so there is a real onus on young men to actually okay. go find a wife. So um, I would say that for a, a young lady, there's a slight difference in the terms of actually you're talking about aggressive pursuit but what they want to do aggressively pursue christ first aggressively go hard after christ and uh, and loving their savior and then what that means in terms of them as a biblical man and as a biblical woman in masculinity and femininity um, as single and, uh, and unmarried people what that looks like in the life of the church which is a family as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers um and then prayerfully uh, and watchfully looking about the church that they're in, that the Lord may bring them someone. I mean, often it's, you know, you're being groups together as young, uh, as, you know, late young adults or late teens. Um, and the Lord may bring someone to your attention uh, that may be explored at the right time in terms of um, some uh, dating with a, a possibility for some clarity uh, from then on. Uh, I, I think it's... Um, what we've seen is we've seen and this is why i always go for the men first we want to teach men and women but i want to go for the, the men and call them to a vision of biblical manhood to encourage them to go out and actually actively pursue a wife as they've made themselves marriable if you like you've got to be a kind of man that's got the seeds of man you not the none of us is the complete thing uh, but you're going with with some kind of godly gravity about you, some kind of god, godliness there, manliness, that you could actually see a, a young woman and, and pursue her in, in the right way. Because what you got is you've got a lot of young ladies that are pursuing the Lord and they're going, where are the men? You know, no, true. Very where, true. where are the men? We, we would like to be married, but there's no guys actually coming forward and wanting to make that kind of commitment. Another thing I think, Seth, is that... Uh, we're in an age that is so, uh, an egalitarian age that's flattened the differences between the sexes so that on these college campuses, everyone's in the friend zone. The, the guys treat the girls like the buddies and their arms around the, and the girls treat the guys like buddies and of course, you, there's a friendship that can be there but girls are not your, your mates like your, your men are your mates and there should be that sort of, the dance between the sexes, the difference between the sexes is different. So then you get to a stage where girls are viewing guys just like friends and and guys are viewing the girls just like friends and there's not that kind of mindset of uh oh she could be a potential wife here or he could be a potential husband that so they put them all in what they call the friend zone um this is the way our our young uh, adults would uh would talk about it so that there is that little bit of a difference no no young guy wants to be in the friend zone. no no yeah you see a young lady you like and then she's like no sorry you're in the, you you're make in, a nice friend yeah, no nice guy friend. wants to hear that yeah right? yeah but i think ultimately is uh entrusting yourself and entrusting that future spouse to to the lord that in his timing he'd bring you that right man or, or or that right woman at the same time i want to be teaching biblical patterns in the church to young men and young women with an emphasis on young men to go find yourself a wife 
A new believer or a young child that's wanting to start in the Bible reading themselves. So a new believer, young child is starting to read the Bible themselves. Mm -hmm. We have different equivalences, formal equivalents, optimal equivalents, dynamic, dealing with from KJV to New King James to ESV to things like the NLT. Do you have any recommendations or some insights or do you even recommend some reading of the NLT I do some of that with my family, reading of the NLT, and but I describe it as more of commentary is what I right. would, it would suggest to them. Can you give some insights on somebody sits down there trying to read the KJV for the first time? I know it's not the 1611, mm -hmm. but it's, they're struggling for that uh, to work through some of that language. Do, can you give some insight into that? I, yeah, I mean, I, I I've been asked that question before, really. Um, but I think what you're doing, what, kind of what you said there, you might be exposing your your uh, your family attuned to other translations with a with a discerning eye on what the translation is and um or the you know some people might use the niv because it's that dynamic equivalence and it might be easier language than the esv but i would be bringing i think as the if you're the head of the home as the husband you have to know where the dynamic equivalence is, is actually falling short in what Biblical accuracy. So you would there. not recommend that a new believer approach a dynamic equivalent text like NIV or NLT. I, I would, I wouldn't, but I wouldn't. I think it's the end of the world if there was some of that in there. I would. You want to be giving people the sense of the passage and what it is, but you you don't want to give up on accuracy uh, as well. Right. I think accuracy is is your key thing. So I think it needs to be a bit of a blend if you're going to use some of that other stuff. Okay, I want to bring us to our next question. My friend and her husband are currently attending a church that compromises biblical truth. She wants to leave the church, but right now her husband wants to stay. Once again, her desire is to honor her husband, but she does not want her or her children sitting under unbiblical teaching. How do you advise her? Hmm. Uh, I... It doesn't say what the teaching is, and I think that's kind of yeah. no. It doesn't. It no. doesn't say they're they're compromising. You know, they're they're doing same sex marriages. Right. It doesn't say, uh, you know, they're leaving out certain doctrines. So I, I think it's is widespread mm. in mm. that. But maybe you can just give some insights of. Yeah. Um, well, I think the first thing I would say to the woman is is patience would be key. Um, and that patience can only come with a trust in the sovereignty of God over the situation. So it might be it's taken a bit of time before her husband comes to the same conclusion as she has and that, that they depart from the church. So patience, she's going to need patience. She's going to need wisdom in the way that she brings the particular unbiblical truths to him and, and raises her concerns about it to him. Uh, again, is there are there other friends that could... Is there another guy that he respects that could speak into his life about this and, and maybe counsel him towards what might be a necessary departure? Um, and then the urgency of it, as I say, there's patience at the same time, there's the urgency of it would be what is the particular doctrine that's being compromised here? Yeah, is it an affirming of same-sex marriage? Which I think if a church is doing that, if it's teaching that, if it's marrying same-sexes, it ceased to be a church. church. Yeah. Um, and in that case, at some point, maybe she might have to make that decision because he's gone down uh, affirming that. And you've got to say someone who is affirming that is actually proving themselves to be unregenerate. Mm. 
potentially. Okay. So, you know, she might not be able to follow her husband because he's actually leading her into the sense of being sitting under simple teaching. Two more questions that I have. This lady writes, in my profession, I am in contact with many female pastors, she puts in quotes. She says, how should I engage these ladies or what responsibility do I have? In the profession, she's in contact, so she's not obviously sitting under the, the, their teaching. No, I, I, would, I would probably put this as uh, maybe they're involved in a Christian school together. Maybe they're ah. involved in some type of uh, work environment together. Is yeah. What looking at. Well, well I, I guess, I mean, there's a discernment to be made. Are they Christians, number one? Uh, what kind of level of fellowship have you got there? And number two, when the conversation turns towards that, is there an appropriate time? You can be praying that God would open a door for the word to go through. Um, and then you yourself need to be rooted in the scriptures that you might that you know where you would go to actually explain why this is not a biblical pattern. You also should know what they would go to to explain and justify uh, themselves uh, preaching uh, and, and, and taking an office which is not clearly in the scriptures, not for a woman to take. And so... Again, you know, I think a lot, I find a lot of Christians are anxious about situations like this and, and feel that at times they they feel, I think they feel two things. They may feel, I've got to say something and I've got to put it right straight away. And if I don't, you know, that person, it, it all relies on me for their own salvation or their their sanctification, their correction. Um, and, and then they feel guilty if they don't or if you know they're not pressing it as they should. I think there's, again, the Lord's brought about this situation in his sovereignty for his glory. You can prayerfully consider it and at the right time speak calmly uh, and yet boldly what is biblical truth. And you just don't know. as you're, Use the scripture, sword of the spirit. Don't put the, the, script, the sword away. Use the, 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 the sword of the spirit. And then you can trust the Lord that you just don't know what little nugget that might put in that particular woman's mind that she might not repent and turn away from it straight away, but he might use that uh, down the line. So Plant, water, God's increase. Indeed. Right. Wisdom, discernment, and then humility in it, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, not anger uh, toward that. Last question that we have is, what would you say to someone who says, I battle same-sex desires and have for years since I was a teenager or since I hit puberty, I believe I was born a homosexual? Uh, I would say to them, you, you weren't born a homosexual, you were born a sinner. And that um, same-sex attraction is uh, a repeated pattern of desires uh, for a member of the uh, of, uh, of the same sex, uh, there is no uh, gay gene, just as there is no anger gene, there is no envy gene. There is a sin nature that we're born with, and that then leads our desires to be distorted in a manner of different directions. Uh, uh, same sex attraction is one of those directions, and a, and a, and a repeated pattern is what then suddenly people will say, ah, so then I am gay. It's really, think about it. Um, and if you look at the scriptures, they actually speak about homo those who practice homosexuality. So 
60, 70 years ago, the uh, homosexuality would be described by the act, sodomizers. In the in the ninth, that the act, right, right. In the around about the nineteen sixties, it became a psychological condition, so homosexuality, and now it is an identity. Mm. So you've moved from act to psych psychological condition to identity. Once it's an identity, and this is where the the whole wickedness of the satanic uh, ideology behind LGBTQ movement is. Once it's an identity. It's the same thing as uh, uh, as race and ethnicity. Right. You are born that way, and if you're born that way, you can't help it. But there's been a language deception that has moved us from the act and the action, and you actually those desires then moving into action is it's those who practice homosexuality. If you're someone who has those desires that hasn't actually gone through with it, you have to recognize the desire itself in terms of understanding original sin. The principle of the desire itself is sin as we tempt ourselves with our own sin, as James, talk, James talks about. And that needs to be put to death and can be put to death in Christ. And I would say this, that for those who experience same-sex attraction, who, who have... Uh, have not are not acting upon it who have placed their trust in christ who are born again they can trust the lord that he's beginning to reorder their desires even if they battle those desires to some extent and hopefully increasingly less as they go on for the rest of their life as we are all battling sinful desires to the end of our lives as it might be a, a heterosexual man who's battling lust to some degree to, to the end of his life until that day uh, when the lord perfects us in heaven yeah. fallen world fallen person you know fallen nature apart from christ that new nature in christ to be able to battle and we bring our sexuality under obedience to the word of god and under jesus christ and mm -hmm. his authority right mm -hmm. i mean because uh, a man could easily use it as an opposite excuse god has not designed me to be a one woman mm -hmm. man uh, he designed me to be uh, to have multiple women to sleep mm -hmm. with that's how he designed me or he and then you can even go down and continue to fall that degrading pattern where it could get into pedophilia and everything else Indeed, all yeah. for excuse mm -hmm. well i appreciate your time with us today and thank Pleasure. you for answering these questions and and being just honest with these different things and being able to work through and so gavin it's been a blessing not only having you on the podcast but having you here this week with us my pleasure loved it god bless mm -hmm.